one 9646 is the number. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savan, back for another week here. Lots to get through. Your emails, questions. Uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com. If you have some questions, check out that website. There's a drop-down menu. There's a very high probability that your uh, your particular question has been answered in depth, but have a look at it. And if you do post one, they get back to you right away with an answer. InjuryCalculator.ca. You want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a case should be. Your case, another very simple calculator to use. Free, anonymous. If you want it to be, walk away with a number in your head and you can contact Savan and his team at the bottom uh, with the contact button if you uh, prefer to do that. So week that was, pal, uh, we always start that way. How was it? It was very busy as usual, John. Um, you know, I, I actually have a few emails here from uh, mydisabilityquestions.com that you mentioned you and I'm going to read through it. But before that, I want to tell you about a call that I had yesterday uh, from a psychologist in the Ottawa area who has heard the show and wanted to talk to me because of some new legislation, some new laws that have been uh, uh, proposed and, and will come into effect with respect to workers' comp. Now, we don't do workers' comp, but this is with respect to mental illnesses and, and psychological issues and the fact that workers' comp may end up covering some of that. And so she has a patient uh, that is having issues at work and because of those issues, uh, you know, she applied for shortened disability and then she was denied. And so there is an interplay between the employment side and, yep. and workers' comp and now disability. And, you know, that's exactly within my wheelhouse. And so we had a good chat, a really good conversation. I explained to her all the options. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, I want listeners to understand that it's not just individuals that I talk to and family members of people who've been denied disability, but it's also, you know, psychologists and doctors mm-hmm. who are actually listening and want to help their patients and, and are frustrated by the process. They're frustrated by the insurance company's denials. And so they'll call me up and we'll have a candid conversation. Maybe they won't give me all the details about their clients, but as long as I can provide them the information they need so they can guide their clients, again, I've done my job. So if you are one of those individuals, you know, you're in the field and you have questions about whatever laws relating to disability or injuries or things like that, insurance, give me a call. We can have a chat. I'll be more than happy to help. So let me just delve into uh, Mm -hmm. some of the questions that were submitted this week on mydisabilityquestions.com. Again, it's a free website. You put the question, I'll answer it within minutes. Here's the question I got from Joey in Hamilton. I am a long-term disability right now. Uh, and I am in a gradual return to work at three days a week. I've been fired from work. Is my LTD, which is long-term disability, still active? Again, I want to stress the point. You know, we have not only disability lawyers at the firm, we have employment lawyers at the firm. We do both sides. So first of all, the, the answer for Joey is yes. As long as you've qualified for LTD, you've applied, and you're on the you know the LTD system, so to speak, you're getting LTD payments, or even if you've been denied, but you've applied when you had coverage, the fact that you were let go doesn't affect your entitlement. Your entitlement has to do with whether or not you meet the test for disability, right. total disability. Uh, and generally, the test is, can you do your own job? It's the own occupation test. But there is an underlying issue here in this email that I want to address as well, which is that he was let go. He was fired from work while he is disabled, while he's trying to go back to work. So now I'm going to go, you know, to to the lawyers right next to me who are working literally in the office next to me. And I'm going to tell them, uh, you know, can can you help this gentleman? I mean, clearly the employer did something that was illegal. Uh, They fired this individual when he was still disabled. Now this person is going to have other entitlements. So not only can we help him with his insurance claim if he gets denied, but now we can also help him with his employment entitlements and human rights yep. entitlements. 
because it's a breach of a human right to fire someone in Ontario if you are disabled. one 9646 is that number that Savan mentioned as well. There's help at the insurancelawyer.ca as well. What else you got? All right, let's go through a few more. This one came from Valerie uh, Guelph. Waiting to be approved for LTD since January tw- uh, uh, 26th. Oh, holy cow, it's two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're saying it's work-related stress and they're going over my file. Am I covered? Well, if they're telling you, Valerie, that it's work-related stress, they're priming you for a denial. Why? Because the majority of disability policies, LTD policies, contain exclusions. And uh, there is usually an exclusion that says that if your disability is as a result of your work environment, then it's not that you can't do your job. It's that you can't do your job for your employer. So go to another employer. That's what they're going to tell you. Really? They're going to tell you you have an employment law issue. Right, and as Lior often talks about uh, in, in on, on the employment hour, if you are working in a toxic work environment and you can't work, well, that can be constructive dismissal. And so, my point is that oftentimes the insurance company, before they issue you uh, a, a denial, they're going to give you a hint, and, and you're going to get this, you know, sense like a denial is coming, like this avalanche is coming, and this is what's happening here with Valerie. And she's done the right thing. And I told her to contact me directly because Mm -hmm. this is concerning to me. I mean, look, if you are disabled from working for your employer, meaning that you can work elsewhere, well, then you probably will not qualify for total disability because it's not that you can't do your job. It's that you're having difficulty with your employer. But oftentimes, these kinds of stresses and depression and mental issues and, and even physical symptoms that manifest as a result of the stress that you get at work sometimes they grow such that they are beyond just the work environment. I've had many, many clients who their disability began because of the stresses of work, but then they became so impaired and so disabled as a result of that, that it doesn't matter where you put them, they are now disabled. It's no longer just confined to that work environment that created it in the first place. So very important to understand the, the difference. And the problem is that a lot of insurance companies don't make that distinction. And frankly, many adjusters don't care. But the listeners out there who are listening, especially those of you who are in that situation or know someone in that situation, you have to be aware of that. And if you're in that situation, you give me a call and we talk about your legal options. one 990 9646 the number. Help at We'll get to more of those stories, your emails as well, and what to do if you're being bullied by the insurance company. That's all coming up here very shortly. Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 9646 is the number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. If you've ever wondered what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, it uh, could be a good number easy to find out injurycalculator.ca as well. What else you got going on there, brother? Well, I'm going to read you an email. I'm going to redact it somewhat because uh, I just don't want to identify the individual who wrote it to me, but this was sent to me early March. uh, And it's an interesting interesting email. So let me read it to you. Uh, He starts off by saying, hi, Mr. Tumarkin. Uh, I've heard your ads uh, or your show on CFRA, which is the station in Ottawa. Yeah. and, and, and then, you know, he outlines his situation. He says, I've been paying $100 a month for disability insurance for the last 30 years, give or take a few months. I didn't expect to use it, but I need it now. About two years ago, I went to see my doctor because I knew I was burnt out. I know I'm burnt out because I can spend hours in front of my computer, in brackets, I'm a translator, and do F all. <laughs> Empirically, my income has dropped significantly. I don't even know for sure because I haven't filed in three years. That's a separate issue. I haven't opened mail in three years, except for client checks and the basic payments I have to do. A local accountant that was recommended by a friend will have a grand old time in the next few weeks. Uh-huh. 
So in March 2016, my doctor checked me out, popped a questionnaire, and diagnosed me with severe depression. I sent all that to blank insurance company, and they found every idiotic reason to reject me. I have all the back and forth emails, as well as my doctor's diagnosis. And he ends by saying, I can't fight this by myself anymore. I'm exhausted. I need help. If my case could interest you, please let me know. There you go. And I responded to him literally within two minutes of him sending this to me. And you know, how he ended that email is so widespread, that kind of a sense of being defeated by the insurance company, not being able to take them on. You're battling your own illness, your own disability. You don't know what to do. And you think it's hopeless. What is the point? This is a billion-dollar entity who's saying to me, we're going to pay you zero. Yeah, I got no shot. Exactly. And yet here you hear Sivan on the radio talking about the fact that you have these rights, you can enforce, come to me. You know, again, I bring this up. You think it's a David and Goliath type of uh, scenario. And I keep saying, remember who won that battle between David and Goliath. That's right. Now, I spoke with this individual. Uh, I had a, a one of our lawyers as well who's in Ottawa. We have an office in Ottawa with lawyers there who do both employment and disability. They spoke with him. This gentleman has a case. This insurance company is going to pay. I'm saying that to you unequivocally, okay? And I'm bringing this up because people need to understand that if you feel hopeless, but you know that you are right, stand up for your rights or let me stand up for your rights. By backing off, you're potentially leaving a ton of money that is owed to you. I'm going to highlight, bold it, underline it, mm-hmm. anything, you know, make the font size, you know, 1500 You are owed this money. When the insurance companies come to the table at the end of my cases and they write a check for my clients, it's not because they feel that, oh, yeah, we're just feeling altruistic, you know, this is a donation. No. They understand that if they don't do that, it's going to be a lot worse for them down the road when a, ju- when a judge hit, hits his or her gavel and makes them pay that much more. So, you know, give me a call, email me, at least let's have a chat. And then if you don't want to pursue it, that is your business. But not to even investigate it, not to even figure out crazy. if you have legal options, it's absolutely crazy. And frankly, it's unfair, not just to you, but to your family. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number. We'll get to a, an email here from Nancy Savannah. I'll read this to you. You can answer it. it says my best friend skipped on a, slipped rather on a sheet of black ice when she was walking her dog last week outside a nearby apartment building. She broke her knee and had surgery. She's going to have another surgery because of complications. She's a self-employed transcriptionist and can't work for a while. Is the apartment building company responsible? Does she have a legal claim? I went and took photos of the area showing the ice the same day, which by the way is brilliant. So what do you think? Absolutely brilliant. And Nancy, you know, you are a very, very good friend. Those photographs are going to be invaluable. Now, you're asking if the apartment building company is responsible. Well, that's a good question. Could be. Uh, In these kinds of cases, we have two major issues to look at. Number one is responsibility, which is liability. Who is at fault here? Number two is damages. What are the injuries? What are the consequences of those injuries right. in terms of income losses, uh, medical rehabilitation expenses, etc.? So we are obviously going to be very interested to look at where exactly your friend fell. Hopefully, if she fell uh, on a sidewalk, you've given notice to the city, to the municipality. Remember, if you fall, slip and fall on ice uh, or anything like that on municipal property, you have an obligation, you have a responsibility, in fact, by law, to notify the city clerk within 10 days, days of right. the incident of where this occurred, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that you've been injured, that you're intending to potentially uh, pursue a claim, very, very important. And by the way, you can always reach out to us and we will help you with that process. It's very easy. Uh, but, you know, this is important here. We have to figure out who's responsible. Now, 
whether it's the municipality or the apartment building, I have no doubt that they had hired a winter maintenance contractor yep. because this is what these kinds of entities do. Yep. Uh, you know, you don't have the building management uh, person there going out and, and taking care of, you know, the sidewalks every day. He may or she may, but usually they also have a company that's responsible. So we want to be able to figure out who are all the uh, parties who are important here for the case. Why? Because all of these parties are presumably going to have insurance. We want to engage all of these insurance companies. Remember, anytime you're injured through someone's negligence, we are looking for an insurance company that we can engage in. That's that's the name of the game. It's insurance, right? And uh, you know, once we figure that out and we pursue a legal claim, then we look at what is the severity of the injury. And in this case, you're dealing with a fairly significant injury to her knee. I mean, the fact that she's going to have surgery, Again. I have dealt with a ton of knee injuries, and I talk to orthopedic surgeons all the time, some of the top people in the country. And so I get a sense, you know, when someone is having knee surgery or knee replacement, it's not the end of, you know, the, the discussion. Yeah. You're going to have issues down the road, arthritis, osteoarthritis, revision, uh, revision surgery, mobility issues, there's going to be a ton of stuff. So, you know, Nancy, your question is, does she have a legal claim? My sense is she does. But I want to see the photos. I want to understand more about what happened. And again, it's great that you have reached out. And for people out there who are listening, you know somebody who's been injured, particularly in situations where it's a severe injury and they're focusing on trying to get better. They don't have the headspace to deal with a lawyer, but that can oftentimes mean, you know, the difference of, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, sure. if not more, for the family who is going to need that money down the road. And if you let your rights expire and you don't do what you need to do early on, your case, if there is one down the road, may be severely prejudiced. So, you know, make sure that if it's not you who's been injured, it's someone you know, that, you know, you help them, get them to get in touch with us, or you get in touch with us on their behalf, and let's start the conversation. one 9646 is that number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more coming up. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be. There's a calculator for that. Savannah designed it called injurycalculator.ca as well. So, you know, we hear from uh, from people on LTD that they're often intimidated and, and bullied by insurance adjusters assigned to the case. Once you get involved and see the abuse and intimidation used by insurance agencies, your clients before their involvement, what do you do about that? Because, I mean, this this, this can make them physically worse, right? Not can, it does. Yeah. It absolutely does. And oftentimes it's a deterrent for people to, you know, pursue their claims when they know that they have claims, disability claims. So you're asking, what do what do I do about that? Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. First of all, once we get involved, uh, the communication between the insurance company and the individual stops. That's the sweetest part. By law, yeah, by law, they're not allowed to communicate with the individual. They can only communicate with us. So you're no longer gonna you're no longer gonna get any phone calls, emails, or or letters directly from the insurer. It's just gonna be us. We are on your side. We are on the same team. Now, what happens with the adjusters want to be difficult with us? and I have a big grin on my face, they hit a wall. And it's a very, very painful wall for them to hit. I, I love nothing better uh, more than an adjuster calling me uh, who is being very difficult, who is trying to be very aggressive. Because John, I can tell you that that does not last very long. It doesn't last very long because they are nothing to me. I see straight past them. In fact, when I start a legal claim, 
I'm not even interested to talk with the adjuster. Now, again, I want to make sure I don't paint all adjusters in a bad light. There are some fantastic people out there working for insurance companies. Unfortunately, most times they have to tow the company line. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can tell you, I've done defense work in the past. I have reported to my former clients who were adjusters. And so some of them are smarter than others. Some of them are better than others. Some of them are just decent human beings. Some of them are not. I can tell you right now that the fact that you have a bad adjuster or an aggressive adjuster means zero to me. What what is important to me is, you know, the the objective valuation of your case. Do I think you have a case? Do I right. think you're entitled to these payments? What is the quantum of these payments? I've had many, many cases where we start a legal claim after I've gone back back and forth with an adjuster and determined that there's no point speaking with that person. I start a legal claim and I was very aggressive about it uh, because of, you know, the situation that my client was in. And I got a defense lawyer on the other side, and lo and behold, everything was amicable. Everything was amicable, and we were able to resolve the claim, you know, within weeks or or months, depending on the claim. So, you know, I'm not concerned about aggressive adjusters. You know, it's just the way people are. Some people are just better than others and just easier to get along with. But the ones that think that they can get something with us by way of intimidation, they have another thing coming. And I can tell you that they're not going to be happy when they, speak to, when they speak to me directly. And I've had situations, by the way, where incidentally, where, you know, the aggressiveness of the adjuster was actually documented in emails that that person wrote to my client. And wow. holy cow, did that insurance company end up paying more at the end of the day than they needed to pay as a result of actually having proof that the adjuster was acting in a way that was simply unbecoming and in a way that was simply not in accordance with good practices for the insurance company. Greg writes in, again, the email is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Greg says, my wife was denied long-term disability because they say uh, she did not comply with all of her doctor's recommendations, but she did. And even he will say that she did. She's 47 and is, or was, I should say, a high-paying executive. So she's been there. She uh, had a breakdown and now sees a psychologist regularly. What can we do? Well, this touches the issue, Greg, of mitigation. And one of the things that insurance companies are very concerned with, and rightly so, is whether or not an individual who is disabled is in fact doing everything he or she can Mm -hmm. to get better. And that's, by the way, a principle of law. You have an obligation to try and get better. You can't simply say, I am injured, I am disabled, that's it, pay me whatever, I have no obligation to do anything. You do. But what I often find is insurance companies take unreasonable positions. They will have you go see one of their doctors and their doctor is saying you should be doing X and Y. And your doctor who's been treating you for three years says, no, that's not the right treatment. The right treatment is, you know, A and B. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have to look at every case uh, on a case-by-case basis. But it's very rare for me. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen an individual who was uh, legitimately disabled or injured, not trying to actually take steps to get better when their doctors are telling them that there is something out there that could potentially make them feel better. Why wouldn't you? Exactly. Why wouldn't you? It makes no sense unless you're malingering, unless you're making something up. So when an insurance company says this person has not complied with their treatment recommendations, I always take that with a grain of salt. And nine times out of 10, in my experience, when I've seen these kinds of excuses, they fall flat. And when we end up starting a legal claim, the lawyer ends up conceding at the mediation, yeah, that's not our best argument. Let's open up the checkbook and figure out what we can settle with. But until you get to that point, you know, they're trying to frustrate the process and make you, uh, you know, just back down. 
And and you know, especially by the way, in this case, Greg says his wife is a high was a high paying executive. Yeah. So you're probably talking about a fairly high, relatively high uh, long term disability payment, monthly right. payment. The insurance company would not mind saving on that yeah, by denying the claim. Dish all the yeah, way, exactly. And for every for every you know ten Gregs out there, you're going to have nine who are simply not going to take any action. Yeah. And they're going to back off, and the insurance company is left holding a bag full of money that's owed to you. You mentioned doctor's treatment recommendations. That's where we're going to go after a short break. It's 1-888-990-9646, a number, and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Global News Radio. 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646, the number to get a hold of Sivan and his team, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can check that website out as well. Same goes for fightformyltd.com. We'll talk about those in just a little bit. So we talked about, or at least uh, an email we had from Greg during the last segment about uh, following doctors' treatment recommendations and the insurance company's doctors, so on and so forth. How vital is it to follow your doctor's uh, recommendations when it comes to treatment? It's very, very important. Unless you have a good reason not to, uh, in which case, by the way, you should have a chat with your treating uh, physician or if it's a psychologist or a therapist, you know, you need to have a conversation with these people who are trying to help you. And ultimately, if you think that what they're recommending to you is wrong, well, then you should be switching to someone else, uh, you know, with whom you agree in terms of treatments. Because at the end of the day, this is all documented. And when we file a legal claim, uh, and even before then, when the insurance company looks at the various records and sees that you've been told to do X and Y, that's a physiotherapy and psychotherapy, and you haven't done either, or you've missed 50% of your appointments for no reason, that's a problem. That's a mitigation problem. Yeah. So, you know, it's really important that if your doctors are recommending that you do something, treatments, or medic- take medications, and if, if for whatever reason you're not uh, going to do that, and there is a legitimate reason, make sure you have that conversation with your doctor and make sure that that is recorded in the doctor's records. I mean, actually ask the doctor to put down an explanation. Otherwise, we're going to have to explain this down the road. So again, it comes down to the issue of mitigation. If your doctor is telling you to do something so that you can get better and you don't do it, that is going to be a problem. I can't help you with that. And frankly, forget about the law. If you're not following your doctor's recommendations, you're not doing everything you can to get better. So again, you make sure that you follow the recommendations or you go to someone else with whom you agree in terms of treatments. And sometimes your doctor will say, you know, you could probably try going back to work three days a week, two days a week. You got to do it, right? You should get on well, there and well, try to mitigate. So right? that, that's an interesting question. That's different right. than treatments. If your doctor says, I think you should be able to go back. You give it you a know, shot anyway. I, I, it depends, depends. Right. It, probably so because usually your doctor will tell you that after talking with you mm-hmm. and thinking alongside you that you right. can probably give it a shot. And if you can, you should. But you know, in terms of going back to work, you have to be careful about that as well, uh, because you want to make sure that you do it, uh, you know, uh, on your own time. You want to make sure that even if the doctor thinks that it will be good for you, mm-hmm. but you don't feel it's going to be good, you have a conversation with yeah. the doctor. But yeah, you certainly don't want a situation where the doctor writes down, you know, I told my patient to try and go back to work. Patient refuses. Period. Because at that point, it looks as though you're simply trying to milk the system. You're trying to just stay Malinger. at home, do nothing. Malinger. We love that word. Malinger, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, very important. Have that conversation with your doctor. Ultimately, you know, doctors are very highly regarded. Uh, therapists are highly regarded. Insurance companies are going to look at those records, and they're going to look at whether or not you listen to the people who are trying to help you. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Jennifer sends an email. Says uh, my brother was in a terrible accident a few years ago, 
and since then he was on long-term disability. But he just got a letter from his case manager saying that he'll be cut off payments on May 3rd because the insurer thinks that he should be able to do some other job. He can't. He's severely depressed and has numbness in his hands from the accident. He was an electrician. The letter says that he can appeal his denial should he. That's it. God. You got it, John. I was waiting to uh, to hear your response. No. So, so Jennifer, first of all, thank you again. Another example of somebody who is contacting us on behalf of a relative or someone in need. No, you do not appeal these decisions. Uh, you can if you want, but it's uh, you know you just gonna, on a wheel. You are. I mean, understand that these appeals from long-term disability denials and cutoffs. These appeals. Are, are ineffective uh, for the most part because you are appealing to the same people who cut you off in the first place. So the power still remains in the hands of the insurance company. Contrast that with what happens when we start a legal claim, we take it outside of the insurance company's hand. How? Well, there's still a dialogue between us and the insurance company, except that the end game, if they don't play ball, is a judge. And the reason why the vast majority of these cases never see a courtroom, okay? It's not like TV. These cases almost never, ever get to trial because insurance companies are not interested in rolling the dice and mm-hmm. getting hammered. It's too expensive. They're not in the business of, you know, rolling the dice and, and going to Vegas with their money. They want certainty. So that's why a legal claim is preferable in these cases uh, to an appeal. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, your brother, Jennifer, specifically with respect to the fact that the insurance company thinks that he should be able to do some other job. So first of all, I love it when the insurance company or the adjuster thinks yep. that the disabled individual can do something else. The fact that they're saying he can do something else indicates to me that he's been on disability or is about to be on disability for about two years. A couple of years, yeah. And why do I say that? Because in long-term disability claims, the first two years to get LTD, you have to show that you are disabled from doing your job, your occupation. Beyond that two-year mark, the question then becomes, can you do any occupation, but not just any occupation, any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. So, you know, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, no one's going to ask you to become a Walmart greeter, okay? It has to be something for which you're trained for, have education for. Be a teacher, uh, professor. Be a a professor, exactly. Now, in the case of your brother, Jennifer, the question really is, uh, what do his doctors say? You know, he, he's, he's severely depressed. He's got numbness in his hands. So, you know, we're probably going to have- he's an electrician. He's an electrician, exactly. Right. So, he, you know, clearly it seems to me like the insurance company, it's implied that they know he can't do the work of an electrician. Well, can he do anything else? Well, if he's severely depressed, I, you know, my experience with depression, with clients with severe depression, and even speaking with psychologists and psychotherapists and et cetera, psychiatrists, is that that is an extremely debilitating condition. Mm-hmm. You know, you the, the person usually can get out of bed. I mean, let alone go and do a, a job somewhere yeah. or maintain a job. So, my suggestion, Jennifer, is that we chat off air. Uh, you know, let me speak with your brother and and let me understand and look at some of the documentation that has been going back and forth between him and the insurance company, the the uh, medical documentation, the denial letter, etc. And and I will give him his legal options. My general sense is they should not be cutting him off. They are trying to do what they often do to many people who have legitimate claims, which is cut them off and hope that the majority of them will not come back and complain or challenge our decision. Because frankly, that's what usually happens, right? Nine out of 10 of these claims, in my experience, people just walk away. 
So, you know, let's have that conversation. Don't let him just walk away from the money that he is owed by this insurance company. And we'll talk about the different psychological versus physical disabilities when we uh, come back after a short break. one 990 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number to get a hold of Savannah and his crew. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca as well. So many disabilities, like we mentioned just before we uh, we took a break, are uh, psychological, not physical. Do you treat those differently when you're fighting against the insurance companies? Well, we have to be you know a bit more careful with those kinds of claims, not because they're less legitimate. In fact, oftentimes, as I said before, they can be even more debilitating than a physical injury. Uh, but but. You know, if somebody broke their back or, or you have a torn shoulder, you know, you have an MRI, you have an X-ray, you, you, can, you can see it, right? If you're telling someone you're severely depressed or your psychologist writes a report saying you're severely depressed, well, no one can really see that unless they actually live with you uh, and, and spend time with you and see that you can't actually function. So, you know, it's not that we treat those cases differently. Is that, is that, you know, we're on guard because insurance companies are naturally more skeptical of those yep. because, you know, they're going to want a lot more documentation. They're going to want to see a lot more of the records. They're, they're, they're going to really scrutinize the mitigation, whether or not you follow treatments, taking medications, yeah. what kind of medications, Ativan or whatever other medications you've been prescribed. So, you know, it's very important to understand that just, the, you know, the fact that you didn't break something, uh, and that you know you're debilitated and disabled because of depression or anxiety or a phobia or anything like that. It doesn't mean that you don't qualify. You qualify for LTD if you are disabled from working. That is the test. And do you have the medical support to support the fact that you can't work because of that condition? As long as you have that, as far as I'm concerned, you have a case. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Dan uh, writes us, says, uh, I have a degenerative condition that makes me unable to stand, sit, or walk for more than a few minutes at a time. I'm 52, and I've paid into an LTD disability plan for over 26 years. Now that I need their help, they turn me down because they say I'm not as disabled as I think I am. I've been going through uh, two neurologists for three years who wrote them two letters telling them that I can't work and they still turn me down because of their doctor's opinion. I'm at the end of the road, man. I don't know what to do, how to deal with them. What do I do? Very simple, Dan. You let me deal with them. You have a neurologist that wrote them two letters saying you can't work and explained why and they're still denying you? Nope. I would love to see what the qualifications are of the adjuster that read those letters and denied you despite the fact that you have a specialist that probably explained in medical language why it is that you can't work. I would love to know if they had on their side, the insurance company, any of their doctors, which oftentimes, by the way, uh, are not as equipped to actually review some of these medical documents and reports from specialists, uh, what they said and what they wrote down you know, this is this infuriates me, John, because you have people who are legitimately disabled and you have their doctors, just like the psychologist yesterday who had called me from Ottawa, who is so frustrated by the process, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to help their clients. And, you know, sometimes the insurance company calls the doctor directly and I've had doctors call me afterwards saying, I don't know what they want from me. I've told them in plain English, I don't know, maybe we should speak uh, some kind of another language, Swahili or something. They just, they're not getting it. Well, you know, we're missing the point here. The point is that insurance companies are in the business of making money. They do it in two ways, by collecting premiums and not paying out. That's the formula. It's really simple. It's quite genius, actually, but it's really simple. 
The point is, are you going to fall through the cracks or are you going to contact us or a disability lawyer? It doesn't have to be us. I mean, we're here, we talk, I'd love you to contact me, but there are other very good disability lawyers out there. But are you going to contact us to help you or are you simply going to spin your wheels, you know, get fed up with the process and walk away from a lot of money that is owed to you, to your family, that can pay for your mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. I really hope you contact us. We have that conversation. We give you your legal options, and then you decide what you want to do. And that's that's the you know th- that's what I'm urging you to do, Dan. Right after the show, that we get in touch with each other and let's talk about your situation. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. That's the number, Danny. Use it. Write it down. Keep it. Uh, we talk about all the time: short term disability versus long term disability. Uh, if you're denied short term rather than long term, then what happens? Well, we can or still does help you. Happen? No, no, we can still help you. First of all, if you're denied short term disability, you should still be applying for long term disability. Now, if you come to us after you've applied for short-term disability, that you've been denied, yep. uh, if the short-term disability is with the same company yeah, yeah. As, as that's paying the long-term disability, well, then there's no point even applying for the LTD because if they denied you for, it, for the STD, right, for the short-term, they're going to deny you for the long-term. Right. So generally, if we're dealing with the same company for short-term disability and long-term disability, we start a legal claim for both for the individual, right? I mean, you know, kill Makes two sense. birds with one stone totally. and, and we, we resolve it for them. If, however, you're dealing with uh, one company for short term, oftentimes employers are the ones who are paying that, and then the LTD is with another company, well, then you should be applying for LTD immediately. Because you might not get You out. might not get, exactly. So, you know, either way, give us a call and we can guide you. But the point is that if it's the same company that is providing you LTD and shortened disability, we can help you with both of them at the same time. Get email uh, from Sandy here, by the way. It's help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Says, I've appealed the denial of my long-term disability three times already. That's three times lucky. Uh, I've been accepted into CPP disability. I don't understand how I could be getting CPP disability, but at the same time denied LTD from my insurer. Can you help me? Uh, yes, and I don't understand it either, Sandy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. So first of all, the test for CPP disability is do you have a disability or an illness uh, that is severe and prolonged. Those are the two keywords, severe and prolonged. Right. And, and these are uh, terms of art. In other words, there's a lot of cases that define these terms. But you've been accepted into that. And by the way, it's not easy to get accepted. In fact, the majority of people on their first try get denied. And if you, uh, you, know, if you appeal that, the CPP disability, sometimes you'll get accepted. But it's not easy. And it's very peculiar and unusual to have an insurance company, a long-term disability insurance company, deny someone a claim uh, for LTD when that person was already approved for CPP disability. Because some see it as a tougher test. Yeah, right? some see yeah. the CPP test as a tougher test. They're not the same test, but I, you know, I would love to understand a bit more about your situation, Sandy. Right. My general sense is that the insurance company is dead in the water. They have no legs to stand on. We can resolve your claim probably very, very fast, within a matter of days or weeks, unless, unless they simply you know, choose to be blind to the reality and force us to start a legal claim, and then we're going to hit them over the head with a legal claim, bring them to the table, and they're going to pay you what you owed. one 990 is that number. Help the insurance lawyer.ca. You want to find out what your uh, pain and suffering component of a claim should be? That's easy. There's a calculator for it, injurycalculator.ca as well. More questions and emails coming up in our last few minutes here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 is the number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. That is the email. The email used by Susan, as a matter of fact, says, uh, 
My husband was recently uh, let go from his job because he is on LTD and has been off work for over a year. Is that legal? And also, the insurer is saying that he won't qualify anymore at the two-year mark. He's only 50, and from what I understood, his policy should go to age 65. Well, we've dealt with those issues before here on the show, Susan. And again, thank you for uh, emailing us uh, on behalf of your husband. So first of all, uh, we started the show by talking about a situation uh, or a question that was posed, uh, you know, I've been let go from my job. Am I still qualified for LTD? Well, in this case, Susan's husband was let go from his job because apparently he's on LTD or he's disabled. Well, again, as we talked about, this is an employment issue. We have lawyers that deal with that, Mm -hmm. that specialize in employment law. And, you know... (laughs) employers just, a lot of them, and by the way, that's not just small employers. Sometimes you have banks and larger institutions who take these really stupid steps for which they pay dearly later. You cannot fire someone on disability. If you do, you're going to owe them not only severance and God knows what else, but human rights damages. Now, here's why that's relevant. So the question you have in addition to the employment issue, Susan, is, you know, they want to cut them off at the two-year mark. And we talked about that. Oftentimes, disabled people get cut off from the insurance company at the two-year mark because the insurance company says you can do something else. You know, you're right, Susan, the majority of policies, your husband is probably one of them, they usually take you to age 65. And so generally when I see people getting cut off after the two-year mark, in the vast majority of cases, when people come to me, it's because they can't do anything else. So they should not be cut off at the two-year mark. So we can help you with that. But, you know, the dual issues here, and this is the uniqueness of what we do at our firm with employment and disability, is that he's going to be entitled to severance from the employer, but he's also going to be entitled to human rights damages because he was let go while he was disabled. Well, remember, any severance that he gets is potentially deducted from anything the LTD insurer pays him. And that's normal. That's normal, right? So if you've been let go, you you, you have $10,000 worth of severance, your LTD companies paying you, let's say, two grand a month, well, they may not pay you for the next five months because right. they're going to be crediting themselves for the severance sure. you just got. They're and allowed they to do, do that. that. Okay. They can do that on, under most policies. But because he was let go while he was disabled and there is the human rights component, some of his severance, some of Susan's husband's severance may be characterized as human rights damages. And the insurer cannot deduct human rights damages. We're not doing so, you know anything here that's illegal. All we're saying is that the insurer has the ability to deduct severance, but not human rights damages. So then it's really important for the disability lawyer in our office and the employment lawyer in our office who are handling both sides of this case to talk amongst themselves to maximize the amount of money that Susan's husband is going to be entitled to at the end of the day. And that brings me to the grand old point, which is that if you have a disability case, one of the reasons you should be reaching out to us is because inevitably you are likely going to have issues with your employer. Not always, okay. but many times. And so the fact that we have employment lawyers, you know, at the firm and the fact that we all talk amongst ourselves, you know, and the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, that's extremely beneficial for our clients. I can't tell you how many times I've had people who've come to me mm-hmm. who have a disability lawyer or they have an employment lawyer. They have different lawyers for different things from different right. offices. And then, you know, the disabled person who's been let go falls through the cracks. So very, very important to understand that, you know, if you have a disability claim or an employment claim, you want to come to us because we deal with both facets, you know, and and, and there is an interplay between both sides of the law. We've got a couple minutes left here. I wanted to mention something I know you've talked about and James has when he's on the show as well. A couple of emails today mentioned the, uh, you know, denial three times. And I know you guys say that once you're denied, once that clock starts ticking, they keep getting to reappeal, appeal, appeal. 
that clock is still running after two years. You're done. Yes. That's you, why you don't appeal, right? You, you got it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons you do not appeal. You have two years from the first time you were told that you were denied to start a claim. You know, and, and the insurance company, they, they may bury somewhere in their letter to you that you have two years to start a legal claim. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that they'll keep, you know, your hopes up with an appeal, a first appeal or second appeal, a gazillionth appeal. Once you pass the two-year mark from the first time you were told you were denied, you now have effectively extinguished your right to make a legal claim. They just throw enough rope to hang yourself. And and we see that, John. Like we, I'm telling you, since we started this show, I don't know, three, four years ago, whenever it was, I not a week goes by without getting someone contacting me who doesn't, who I can't do anything for because they were denied three years ago, or they had an accident two and a half years ago, or they kept appealing. And that's the key thing here. You don't have the time you think you you know you have. And even if you had that time, why would you wait? Every day you wait is another day that it's going to take that much longer to get you the money that you are owed. That number, as we uh, close it off here, one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Email anytime is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Read a bunch of those today as well. Get yours into Savannah when you can, a member of his team. MyDisabilityQuestions.com to answer your disability questions. And if you're uh, looking at a claim right now, there's always the uh, pain and suffering component. It could be a small one. There could be a much bigger piece behind it, but you'll want to know what that pain and suffering component should be. A good ballpark number. Always wondered how to find out. Simple. InjuryCalculator.ca as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.